Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. Welcome to Guest Who. I'm Jeff Carter, and this is a show where I get to ask questions of people I'm acquainted with but don't really know much about them. And uh, today I have with me actor Scott Edgecombe. But now they know who I am because you just said my name. Yeah. Oh, no. oh, they're not surprised. They're not guessing who you're talking about. No. Oh, okay. Just wasn't sure about that. <laughs> anyway, the premise is is that I don't know much about you. I've met you uh, a few months ago when uh, you uh, came into the studio to do on this day, as you now regularly do. Obviously, acquaintance of uh, Grant Nichols, and we all know that actors like to talk to actors. <laughs> Yeah, they like to talk about themselves to other actors. <laughs> well, apparently. I've experienced that many times. Are you from Huntsville? I am not. I'm actually from uh, Mississauga, and uh, but my parents bought a place in 1969 up in uh, the Bala area and started bringing us up here every summer, and I was one of those kids that was summered up here. And uh, I actually went to Twingo for a summer once up here. I did not enjoy Twingo, but I was more of a Pinecrest guy. Uh but yeah, I, I was one of those cottagers and then uh, knew that I wanted to end up here, especially Ooh. I wanted to bring my kids up here. Right. Okay, so you're an actor. Yes. For uh, those who may not know who you are, what might they have seen you in? Ooh, that's a hard one. Uh, no, I'm, I mostly do day player gigs, uh, which means you're only on the set for a day. Uh, I have a reoccurring role on a TV show called Strays, which uh, season one was on CBC last year, and you can get it on CBC Gem, and they're filming season two right now, so I still don't know how much of season two I'm in yet. Uh, I just did an episode of Sex Life for uh, Netflix, and my wife was very happy to know that they didn't have me doing anything to do with the erotic part of the show. I was in a full suit and just talking. Uh, but uh, I'm in it chapter two again. If you blink, you miss me. Uh, I should point out, Jeff, because a lot of people when they meet me and they say, "Oh, you're an actor. Do you ever speak?" Uh, they don't understand that uh, there's a difference between background and actors. And background don't have lines, and it's a different process to become background. For an actor, you've got to jump through a lot more hoops because you're always speaking. So anything I'm in, I'm speaking, even if it's just one line or if it's a whole page. Right, so you're telling me you're not background. No, no, I don't do background. And no disrespect to background, it's just I've spent years in theater school mm -hmm. working really hard so that I could be in front of the camera talking. All right, so, you know, you're in some shows, but when did you decide you wanted to be an actor? Well, <laughs> and, I can remember. And how, did you, how did you get that? I decided I wanted to be an actor back when my parents took me to go see Annie at the O'Keefe Center in Toronto. Uh, and the little girl who was playing Annie, I'd just seen in the movie, Oh God, Book Two, and it just blew my mind. And from that point onwards, I was convinced that maybe they're going to make an all-male version of Annie called Andrew and that I could star in it as a little redheaded boy, which 
They never did. Okay. And how old were you at this point? At that point, I was, I want to say fourth grade, third grade. I was young. I just knew I I was frosty in the kindergarten play, the lead role. I just, I was always the class clown and kind of liked to get attention by making people laugh. And uh, it just, and then as an adult, well, a young adult, I met John Candy when I was in eighth grade. I interviewed him for a school project. and he told me, he said, don't you dare try to be an actor. This is, <laughs> you know, where it's 97% unemployment, gave me all kinds of advice on not what not to do. And uh, of course, it didn't help at all. I started improv classes the following year, and I met John Candy one more time six months before he passed uh, through a series of random coincidences, and his assistant turned out to be a friend of mine, and I got to hang out with him again and go over how we'd met 20 years ago. And, and Anyways, I'm going off track here with that one. But John Candy was my inspiration, and I, I always loved what he did, and I loved how kind a human being he was because you hear so much about people who are successful in the business and what it does to their personalities, and every story about him was just that he was just a kind soul till the end, and he was. I mean, even when I met him <laughs> just six months before his death, he was exactly the same as when I'd met him in 1983. Did he you remember know. meeting you earlier? Uh, he, he did that thing. He was like, oh, yeah, I remember. I mean, I was the only kid ever to interview him outside of Kids World. Uh, you would remember a show called Kids World, right, Jeff? No. Oh, it was it was a news show done by kids. Like, the kids were all the anchors back in the 70s. And uh, it was the only time he'd ever been interviewed by a kid except for me. And I interviewed him by getting his phone number from the phone book. That's how weird things were back then. I just called up an answering service under John Candy. <laughs> wow. He called yeah. back. Wow. That's, that is amazing. Yeah. I still, have, uh, I still have the interview on tape. All right. So, you know... You've been in the acting business how long now? Uh, there's two ways to look at it. I've been pursuing it since I was a teenager. Right. Uh, but I moved to L.A. when I was, I moved to, sorry, moved to New York uh, right after university. Spent two years there studying uh, with different schools in New York City because I, I couldn't get into any graduate schools. I was too young. And then after that, uh, to avoid a relationship, I moved to L.A. with a friend of mine who had just been cast on Bold and the Beautiful. Uh, so I spent 15 years in L.A. I got a really? com- 15 years. I my basically 25 to 40, which is, you know, that's your whole kind of mature process if you're mature. Uh, and in that time I had a commercial agent, but I never had a theatrical agent, which meant I could only audition for commercials and print. I couldn't audition for television shows or film. It's two different kinds of agent and they cover those two different areas. Uh, and I had no problem going out for commercials. I booked a few and you can make some good money down there on commercials, uh, but I could never get in for what I call what they call legit acting work. Uh, I would meet with agents and they would say things like, Oh, uh, you know, you remind me too much of Philip Seymour Hoffman or this was before Seth Rogen. I used to blame me not being gorgeous. And then Seth Rogen became famous and, and I'm wrong now, <laughs> but I just, I never, I had a lot of fun when I was there. I mean, I, I was a nanny for Nick Cage when I was there for a while. Uh, I uh, was a nanny for a casting director that took me up to Sundance, the Sundance Film Festival. I had a lot of great experiences while I was there just doing random things. I was a PA on a film called Lather Effect where I became like the, the, the almost like the mascot for the entire set because of all the PAs, I was the only one that was in his 40s. And I was really good at my job, which most PAs aren't because they're, you know, they're new. They're, they're called production assistants and they're just trying to learn what it's like on set. But because I was in my 40s, I was on top of it and everyone loved me because of it. And then Eric Stoltz took me on and made me a producer on a short film he did with him. And 
it just filled me with so much confidence, but it was leading away from the acting again. You know, none of this was acting. This was all behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't really until I moved back here in 2009 that I got a theatrical agent and started getting television credits. All right. So let's wait to talk about coming back to Canada and talk a little bit more about living in L.A. Like I was in L.A. in 1984. (laughs) <laughs> I, I was there that I was there that summer. I, I'm surprised I didn't bump into you. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like uh, it was the, one of the most bizarre places that I've ever been in, mm-hmm. and um, I, I, you know, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to live there because I did all the touristy things, right? You know, Hollywood and Vine, and it wasn't anything like what you, no, what you thought it's it was. Not. And you, you know, as um, you know, a pretty naive um, kid because I was just twenty or something when I went went there. That uh, you know, I was kind of amazed by you know what was there and the people and um, you know there just seemed to be a lot of I'm going to say weirdos. It is you. You have to imagine that uh, one of the things that's really interesting about living there is it's the one place on the planet, arguably the second one would be uh, New York City, where you've got people, everybody from the entire planet, who's ever had someone say to them, oh man, you're really funny, you should be an actor, or you're gorgeous, you should be in the entertainment industry. The prettiest person from every town, or the most talented person from every town, moves to LA. And there is such a huge amount of everything you know, that you could, the idea of making it in that town, it's like winning the lottery just because it's the one place where you can be the individual your entire life and then you move there and your first audition, you're in a room with eight more people that are exactly like you, except maybe they've been singing since they were three or their parents taught them how to tap dance at the age of two. That's the other thing is when you were there in 84, it wasn't happening as much, but when I moved there in 95, 94, we had now had young adults who had been trained since birth to be in the entertainment industry. People who weren't coming there unless they could sing, dance, write, produce everything, you know? Uh, and I moved there thinking I was only going to live there for three months. I wanted to get away from a relationship. I told my girlfriend, I had an apartment in Toronto. I said, I'm just moving for three months. And then I knew I was going to stay because <laughs> I just felt I'd been dreaming about LA since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. I moved to Studio City because I was told that's the closest thing to like a, a Toronto you can get because it's it's kind of it's in the valley and it was a smaller town but it was very accessible to all the studios. It's very entertaining when you're a 25 year old with no agent moving to LA and concerned about where the studios are, considering there's no way he's going to call you to any of those studios anytime. I did see every studio every time as a caterer. I catered on every lot. Uh, I worked at Warner Brothers for two years. I was at Universal Studios as a tour guide. That was my first job in LA, was a Universal Studios tour guide. And it was a tough job. You have like an hour and a half book. It's as thick as a phone book that you have to memorize for the tour so that anytime it's delayed or your tram breaks down, whatever, you've got at least 30 minutes of material you can riff on. And my very first day of work uh, was three weeks, sorry, two months after the uh, North Northridge quake of 94. And my job was to stand outside the earthquake ride and let people know, if you don't want to go on the earthquake ride because you're scared, come out here and hang with me. My first tram pulls up and an actual earthquake hits. <laughs> and here I am a Canadian trying to give tourists advice on what to do in an earthquake. <laughs> but... Uh, 
sorry, I'm rambling all over the place, but uh, it was crazy. It was scary and exciting. Uh, the thing about LA is it's one of the saddest places in the world because everybody is on their own track. And if you've ever seen a movie called uh, Crash, the Paul Haggis Crash, it is one of the most accurate versions of LA. Just, just how, I mean, when you try to make plans with your friends, if it's plans for a Saturday night, they won't commit till the Friday because they're waiting to see if something better comes along. You know, sometimes it won't commit till the Saturday. And then suddenly you got a, 10 people showing up when you have that tour showing up or it's swingers is also another very accurate portrayal of L.A. I mean, it's a little bit more jokey, but it's so true. You get people show up to parties. They look around, check out the room. Uh, no. And then they just leave. You know, it's not a high enough profile party for them. I, I don't know. But my experience in L.A. was more of a, uh, you know, just hang out and play cards and smoke pot with people. I wasn't like going to the bars or clubbing or anything like that. Mm. And then a lot of catering because that's that's the way to get on the lots. You know, and I loved working at Warner Brothers. I worked for the commissary, but in the two years, I we were the people that fed friends every week. So mm-hmm. we were talking to Jennifer Aniston and hanging out with these people before the show was even on air. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were when I worked at Warner Brothers. It was their number one television premiere fall ever because it was when they launched the CW. ER came out, Friends came out, uh, and they were on the brink of Will and Grace. You know, they just they could do no wrong at that point. They had the must see TV. So it was an exciting time to work on the lot because you know hanging out talking to george clooney before he knew he was george clooney you mm-hmm. know or just being around just all these different people i mean i almost ran over uh uh the girl from lois and clark uh, on my third day at work i reversed a golf cart and i almost ran over her and she oh she gave me the stink eye you know i got yelled at by lots of people and i got hugged by lots of people it's a crazy town because you can be driving home from an audition crying and then line up behind Tom Hanks for a coffee at Starbucks. And in your head, you're like, I just saw Tom Hanks. You're not putting together that your career is failing because you saw Tom Hanks. It's so weird. It's weird is the best way to describe it because right. it's so surreal. Okay. Well, we have to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about you coming back to Canada. By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Visit DairyLaneDental.com. And welcome back to Guest 2. We've got Scott Edgecombe with us, uh, who is a Huntsville resident, but uh, we just heard all about his antics in uh, Los Angeles, and uh, you are an actor, and you've been getting gigs up in the North Bay area where they've been filming mm-hmm. uh, over the past few months, where I've you've, you've told me a little bit about what's going on, but um, last time we talked, before we went to the break, we were talking about how you were living in L.A., and then so all of a sudden you're here, uh, you were single, and now you're married. <laughs> and, and so uh, how did that all work? Well, uh, I quit acting at one point in L.A. because I wanted to impress a girl. It didn't work. Uh, and I went to university at Cal State Northridge because I thought I was going to become a teacher. And in my final semester, I met a woman in my program who got to see me in front of a bunch of kids, so she instantly thought I was a rock star. And it was one of those rare moments where I actually got 
to see a woman I'm attracted to see me do something I'm good at. So that made everything fall together. And uh, I dated this woman while I finished my degree at Cal State Northridge. And then I decided to come back to Canada because I wasn't doing any acting down there. And she said, well, you want to go to Canada and you want to bring me with you? We better get married. So we got married. And two kids later, we're up here. But it wasn't until I got to Canada that I got my theatrical agent. And since then is when I've been working as an actor. You know, I've done about 45 shows now in in films uh, since 2010. All up here. None of it was in the U.S. (laughs) U.S. was all about commercials. So did being in L.A. and doing those commercials help you get, I'm going to say, gigs here in in Canada? My experiences there were definitely helpful. Uh, Commercially, not as much, just because uh, I'm a redhead, and I'm a very specific category for commercials, and they go through phases when they like redheads, but not a lot. It's very specific. So I only book commercials when they're describing me to a T. so you're telling me that if it doesn't say this is, a, you know, we're looking for a redhead to, to do this in a commercial, that if you showed up and they weren't saying it's going to be a redhead, that they would immediately um, sort of say, well, you're not the, the look we were looking for. You know, what, what it is, is when I go in, there's me and then there's other the character looking guys who go in. And then there's a bunch of guys that look a lot like uh, Ty Burrell, like Phil Dumphy from Modern Family. You know, a standard kind of, uh, just a dad look like Mike, yeah. like Mr. Brady did, you know, right. just a standard safe dad look. Uh, and very rarely do they go outside of that because these commercials have been storyboarded by an agency somewhere else with a bunch of 20 year olds who've come up with this idea and drawn it out and they're going to keep casting a commercial till they find that look even if they have to feed a bad actor lines it's different in television and film they may have an idea but if a really good actor comes along they'll change their mind but with commercials the product is the star and all the other actors are just trying to help sell that product uh but it's been the when you asked about how my experiences in L.A. helped here, it's really the people I met and worked with down there because the casting director that I worked with down there, Mark Hirschfeld, who did all of Seinfeld and 30 Rock, I was his nanny for a while. So when I moved up here, I, I, I moved up to Toronto. I called him. I said, listen, Mark, can you get me in the room with any casting directors? Because he's way up top the heap compared to Canadian casting directors. Right. And he was like, yeah, no problem. He gave me a few names. And then one of them, uh, Robin Cook Casting down in Toronto, needed readers which is the other actor who stands behind the camera in auditions and reads the lines with the person being taped. And in the U.S., they don't pay for that. But in Canada, they pay quite nicely for that. It's covered by the union. So for the next 10 years, I was reading. as That was my job. That's, that was help paying the bills while I was booking TV shows and commercials, which I could never have done down there. And that was all because of the people I met down there. And the maturity I've shown, because by the time I came up here, I was in my 40s, so I wasn't as green. And I understood that I'd been on set, so I understood that side, because really a huge part of acting is understanding what it's like on set because so actors are so many actors are lost when they get to set because you've gone from a room where you're auditioning with two people to a room where there's a hundred people and equipment everywhere and you need to be sure that you're not angering these other people that are going to be in charge of making you look good when the cameras are rolling so that actually was one of the best thing for me was working on set in la and then bringing that expertise to set as an actor all right so why did you move to huntsville we got evicted just before covid 
uh, and we fought it until the September of 2020, uh, and we, we couldn't win. So we spent six months looking for places, and we kept looking up in Muskoka, but the prices were going up 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 and we came close to tiny but we we knew that we wanted to be far enough away from toronto that it made sense moving from a city mm-hmm. uh and uh it, it turned out to be the only place we could find a house we found a place in bracebridge and after they took our deposit the next day they called us and said sorry we made a mistake that house was promised to someone else and we found out later this person was anti-city people Mm. Uh, but i'm glad it happened because we found a farmhouse to rent here in town it's gorgeous our kids are happy they go to riverside public school and love it we couldn't be happier and then you know i had this dude that was really cool and invited me to go to the radio station and i've been doing that every week and that's just a lot of fun so it's it's nice being part of a community because you never feel like you're part of a community in la or toronto okay and sadly we've run out of time but uh, i think we got the story of scott (laughs) edgecombe down pat (laughs) Ask two questions and let's go. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm a little verbose. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's been a pleasure to get to know you a little better. This has been Guest Who with my guest, Scott Edgecombe. <laughs>